Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Many years ago, I went off to college, and I had a roommate by the name of Mickey. Mickey had a pet boa constrictor that he kept in a glass cage in our dorm room. And Mickey would take a little white mouse and drop it in the cage, and the mouse would start shaking. And then the boa constrictor would go whoosh. <laughs> One day I come back from class, Tom, don't know how to tell you this, but the snake got out of the cage and we can't find it. And so he and I went all over that dorm room looking for that snake and we couldn't find it. And I don't know, two or three nights I went to bed not knowing where that snake was. Very creepy feeling. Well, then Mickey says, you know what, Tom? I found it was burrowed under the sand in his cage. It had never left the cage. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about Romans chapter 6. And we're going to learn you can't be a Christian and keep pet snakes, keep pet sins. You've got to fight those sins or you're not a believer. Would you take out your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6 in the New Testament. Let's learn about getting free from sin and a big part of that is our baptism. Let's pray first. Father, we pray for anyone who is watching this show who never fights their sin, they just live in it. We would pray that you would shake them up and help them know that they need to turn from their sin and fight their sin to go to heaven someday. We pray that you speak to us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Christians in Rome. Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? In other words, should I just keep sinning? Because the more I sin, the more God forgives me and the more gracious he is. Here's Paul's answer, verse 2. May it never be. Here's the first lesson. Beware of grace abuse. If you were to ask me what's the main problem with the liberal mainline denominations in the United States, my response would be grace abuse. I came across an article that I wrote many years ago. Years ago, I was part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Sadly, it's the big, very liberal branch of Lutheranism. Many years ago, Two liberal ELCA bishops wrote an article for the Star Tribune newspaper promoting homosexuality. I wrote an article countering theirs. They put us right next to each other in the newspaper saying, no, you don't. But you know what I've learned through the years? If you say that a certain thing is a sin, you know what you get back? What's the matter? You're a legalist. Don't you believe in grace? Well, of course we believe in grace. We don't believe in grace abuse. I've said this before on the show. The worst example of grace abuse I've ever seen years ago when I was an ELCA Lutheran, the 
Lutheran Hospital in Portland, Oregon was performing elective abortions. I wrote the bishop, the Lutheran bishop in Portland and said, how can a Christian hospital kill unborn children? You know what his response was? We can do this because the Lutheran church believes in grace. <laughs> well, back in 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Lutheran pastor, was executed for plotting to kill Hitler. But Bonhoeffer, before he died, had written a book talking about cheap grace and that the problem of the Lutheran church in Germany, where few pastors would stand up to Hitler, is they were using grace as an excuse to sin and to do nothing. Paul says, may it never be. The first lesson is beware of grace abuse. You know, I've done this. God forgive me. Have you? Have you ever thought like this? Well, I can do this sin because afterwards I can ask for forgiveness and God will forgive me. That's grace abuse. And let's, let's ask the question, why not just sin so he can forgive you? Well, you gotta remember two things. Number one, God does forgive sin. The Bible teaches that. But number two, you still reap what you sow. I mean, you can rob a bank and ask God to forgive you, and if you're repentant and trusting Christ, he will. But you still go to jail for eight years. I mean, it, it's true God forgives sin, but there's still a price tag for sin. Yes, Jesus paid the eternal price tag. We're not going to hell, but you still reap what you sow. So, so beware of grace abuse. Why? Because when you abuse the grace of God, you only hurt you. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, there, it, the point is, the reason we can't live in sin as Christians is because it goes against everything we stand for. Back in the 300s, Chrysostom was bishop of Constantinople. The Roman emperor was trying to get Chrysostom to sin. Actually, it was a Roman official. And, and he, he couldn't crack Chrysostom. And he, he was wondering, what can I do to break him? And somebody said, get Chrysostom to sin. Nothing would torment him more. And I want you to notice in verse 2, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Paul is not teaching that Christians never sin. He is teaching that a Christian cannot live in it. They asked an old sailor, if you fall overboard here into the water, will you drown? And he said, no. Falling into the water doesn't drown anybody. Well, what does? And he said, staying there. If you fall into a sin and repent, that doesn't damn you. If you live in it and you stay there, that's when your soul is eternally in trouble. Years ago, here's a young woman that went to my church and starts living with her boyfriend. And I pointed out, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 says fornicators won't go to heaven. You've got to stop having sex outside of marriage like this. That's a, that's a sin that will, you, you can't live in that. Well, she kept coming up for communion, and, and I kept saying, well, have you repented? Have you moved out? And it said, uh, no, no. Well, finally, I said, you can't take communion here. You can't be a member here because your soul is in trouble. And I hate doing that kind of thing, but I was trying to wake her up. That Paul is teaching you cannot live in impenitent sin and be saved, which is why what those two Lutheran bishops wrote in the Star Tribune newspaper was so damning. They were telling people you can live in impenitent sin and be saved. That's not the teaching of Romans chapter 6. Here's what Martin Luther, I wish those Lutheran bishops would have listened to this. Luther said this 500 years ago. 
Sometimes believers fall and gratify the desires of the flesh. David, King David, fell terribly and committed murder and adultery. Peter also fell dreadfully when he denied the Lord three times. But when they were confronted, they did not stubbornly persist in their sins, but they repented. So those who sin and fall because of weakness will not be refused forgiveness if they stand up again and do not persist in their sin. Persisting in sin is disastrous. If they do not repent and stubbornly continue to gratify the flesh, they show that they are filled with dishonesty. We will not be without sinful desires as long as we live in these bodies. None of us will be free of temptation. But Paul demands that we live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Whoever obeys the corrupt nature and continues to gratify its desires should know that he does not belong to Christ. Even though he calls himself a Christian, he is only deceiving himself. So the question I want to ask of you, are you keeping a pet sin? Are you living in a sin? Then you won't be saved. But are you fighting your sin? You don't always win the fight, but you get back up and you ask for forgiveness, you start fighting again, then you're a Christian. I mean, here's a man who says, well, I fell with pornography this week, but I repented and God forgave me. And I said, well, then you got rid of the pornography. Oh, no, I keep it. It'd be too expensive to keep getting rid of it. No, 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 no. <laughs> you got to fight those snakes. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, look at verse 3 and answer this question, when did we die to sin? The answer is when we were baptized. Here's the symbol of baptism, that God takes our old evil nature, called the flesh, that we inherited from Adam and Eve, he takes our sin nature, and he puts it under the water, and he drowns it in baptism, and then he brings us up a new creature with a new nature in Christ. And, and notice it says in verse 3, all of us who have been baptized, Paul is assuming that all of his readers have been baptized, and I'm assuming that too. If you watching this show have never been baptized, you need to go to the pastor of, of a church and say, look, I need to get baptized. Because we're going to learn in the next verse, baptism is no small thing. It's a huge thing. God does wonderful, powerful things in baptism. Look what he does in verse 4. Here's what God does in baptism. We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here's the next lesson. Baptism kills our old Adam and gives us a new nature. Again, this is huge. Baptism is symbolic, but it's not just symbolic. God actually does stuff for us when we're baptized. He kills our old nature that we got from Adam and Eve and gives us a new nature in Christ. But let's ask the hard question. If my old nature is killed, why do I still sin? And I quote my old seminary professor years ago. He said, quote, we learned that God kills our old Adam in baptism. But we learned pretty quick, he's a pretty good swimmer. That old Adam, even though it's drowned in baptism, keeps coming to the surface, so we keep having to bop it on the head. <laughs> and, and it's interesting. Here in Romans 6, Paul says, our old Adam has been killed. 
But the same Apostle Paul who wrote uh, Colossians chapter 3 says, put to death, present tense, that which is earthly in you. So both are true. Our old nature has been killed, but you still have to keep killing it. And I want you to, to look at verse 4 and answer this question. Why did God baptize you? And the answer is that you might walk in newness of life. The reason Jesus came to earth, the reason he died on the cross, the reason he rose from the dead is so that you can have a new life. You don't have to live with the snakes anymore. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, that's through our baptism, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his, that's living the new life. We know that our old man, our old self, that old Adam, was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And again, notice Paul doesn't say a Christian never sins. He does say a Christian is no longer a slave to sin. If somebody comes to me and says, oh, Pastor Tom, I committed this sin, and I'm so sorry, and I've asked God to forgive me, there's all kinds of hope for that person because they're not a slave. But if somebody comes and says, well, I'm doing this, but I don't think anything's wrong with it, and I continue, I, I'm going to keep doing it, and don't judge me, judge not, that person's soul is in danger because they're not fighting, they're a slave. Look at verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In other words, sin can't hurt a corpse. You know, I've done lots of funerals. When the dead body is in the coffin at the front of the church, do you know that sin can't hurt that corpse anymore because the person's dead? And we're, we are to see ourselves like that. We're dead to sin and alive to God. So when Satan whispers in my ear, you know, you have to sin. This is who you are. I've got you in this area. So give in. We're supposed to go, la, la, la. I can't hear you, Satan. I am dead to you and I am alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with them, with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here's the last lesson. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So let's ask the final question today. <laughs> but am I really dead? Is my old Adam really killed? Well, I went to a garage sale, and I found a book that I had as a little boy that I bought back for a quarter, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and I think I remember going to my dad, because there's an item in here of a chicken that had its head cut off, and ran around for 18 days. <laughs> and I think I went to Dad and said, is that possible? Well, it's not, I don't think. But, but Dad, I think, told me, and this is true, maybe some of you are farmers, if you cut the head off of a chicken, it will still run around for a little bit. Well, here's my point. Yes, my old Adam, my evil nature I got from Adam and Eve, its head has been cut off. It is dead. But... It can still run around, so you have to continually bop it on the head. Martin Luther 
wrote this 500 years ago. What does baptism mean for daily living? It means that our old Adam with its evil deeds and desires should be drowned daily through repentance and that day after day a new self should arise to live with God in righteousness and purity. Let me close with this. Pastor John Piper gave this sermon illustration. I thought it was great. You're standing in front of a cave. Out of the cave comes this huge evil dragon. You are trembling. It's your sin nature. And your hands are holding a sword. And you feel the power of God around your hands. And you take that sword and you plunge it into the belly of that dragon. And the dragon swoons and falls dead. And you say, but Lord, is it dead? And the voice says, you are to consider that thing as dead. But Lord, is it dead? I have dealt it a mortal wound. It will surely die. But Lord, is it dead? A day will come, my child, when it will be totally dead. But is it dead, Lord? Child, take that dragon by the tail and drag it back into the cave and go out in front and put boulders to the front of that cave because this dragon has final death throes that can really hurt you. Let me just close with this. Christian, the way we keep our dragon in its cage, our evil nature in its cage, are four boulders. Number one, prayer. Do you pray every day? Number two, Bible reading. Do you read your Bible every day? Number three, accountability partner. Do you have anybody you talk to about your sins and who prays for you and keeps you accountable? Do you have Christian fellowship like that? And then number four, Holy Communion. There's a power in Holy Communion when we partake of the body and blood of Christ that helps us keep the dragon in its cage. Read your Bible every day is boulder number one. Boulder number two is daily prayer. Boulder number three is to get an accountability partner to hold you accountable. And then boulder number four is take Holy Communion regularly. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, some churches teach perfectionism. Is it possible to get to the point where a Christian no longer sins? Yeah, I think I met a man once who told me he hadn't sinned for three months. And I told him, if I f go for five minutes without sinning in thought, word, and deed, I think I'm doing pretty well. I, first, first John chapter 1 says, if we say we have no sin, and he's writing to Christians, if we say we present tense have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. So yes, as we fight the flesh, we get better, and God, God grants us victories, but we won't be totally without sin until we're in heaven. Okay. Are people always tempted before they sin? I think it's possible. Well, I, I mean, Jackie, I've done it. I'm guessing you have. Haven't you ever had a word come out of your mouth that you weren't planning to say, but you said it and you kick yourself? Our sin nature is so embedded in us, I think it's possible to sin without even thinking about it. So I think the answer is yes. Okay, so is a person always aware when they're committing a sin? 
I don't think so. I mean, Jackie, how many times do I hear a day or do you hear a day somebody say, oh my God, and I don't think they even know they're sinning. They're violating thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So Jackie, as we grow in grace, God opens our eyes to see this was a sin and I never knew it. So yes, I think it's possible. So is it possible to sin without knowing that? I think it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, is a person aware of the fact that they're sinning all the time? Uh, no. I, again, like I just said, it, if, if someone... Now, you could ask the question, all right, if you're not aware you're sinning, are you held accountable? Are you guilty for it? Or, Jackie, if you say, oh my God, well, is that person sinning because they don't know it's a sin? They are sinning. One reason they don't know it's a sin, because they don't read the Bible, they don't go to church. It's their own fault they don't know because they want to be ignorant. Yeah. Okay, that was my next question okay. for you, and you just actually answered All it. Right. So, <laughs> some people have difficulty believing that God can forgive them for, like, having an abortion. What, you, what would you tell someone who is struggling with this? Yeah, I had, a, I had a woman I talked with a while ago, and she had had an abortion and was st years ago and was still struggling. Will God forgive me for that? And I'll just say this to anybody watching. If you had an abortion and you're sorry for what you've done, and you turn to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for this. He forgives you. And now you need to forgive yourself and not beat yourself up anymore. Move on. You might need to go to a, a they have all kinds of uh, uh, retreats. There's Christian uh, uh, ministries where you go on a retreat and, and you get some healing over your abortion. But um, yeah, I, I, we're all sinners, Jackie. If, and abortion is a sin. But if you truly repent and trust in the Lord Jesus, there's forgiveness for sin. Yeah. Okay, you talked about praying daily and Bible reading daily and that. How do you suggest for a person to start doing this uh -huh. if they aren't already doing You know, like years this? ago, Jackie, I just got into a habit. And if you never read your Bible or you rarely pray, I encourage you to have what's called a quiet time. I do it in the morning because that's, if I don't do it in the morning, it rarely gets done. So every morning, I have a time where I read my Bible, where I pray, uh, sometimes I sing to the Lord, uh, sometimes I read devotional stuff, but I try, I don't make it every morning, but I try to have about an hour where I read the Bible, I pray, and I spend time with the Lord. So if you don't have a habit, try to get a set time, maybe before you go to bed, when you wake up, something, you take your noon hour, whatever, but I get a daily quiet time. Okay, and then, no, you said, like, the steps that you do are... Is that required of everybody, or is it just... Well, you know, I think every... Yes, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Every Christian is re required to pray. And, and I, you know, Jackie, I pray on and off in my head all day long. So I, if I sin in the morning, I don't wait till that night to ask for forgiveness. I get it off of my back right then and there. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of what I was asking. Yeah. Does the Bible teach us anything about having accountability partners? You've talked about yeah. an accountability partner yeah. several times, yeah. and... I would point to James chapter 5 where it says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So I think every Christian needs a priest. It doesn't have to be a literal priest, but every Christian needs some Christian friend that'll hold them accountable. Uh, for instance, Jackie, I've shared on this show before that I have struggled, uh, still do, with uh, the temptation of same-sex attraction. I got an email from somebody in Africa 
where it's very taboo to be homosexual. But he's a Christian man, he's got those temptations, and he says, I can't talk to pastors about it here because they'd kick me out of the church. And what do I do? And I said, it doesn't have to be a pastor, but you've got to find somebody, some mature Christian man that'll hold you accountable on this, that'll pray for you and counsel you. I think every Christian needs an accountability partner. When you say every Christian needs one, should a female have a female That's and a best. male have a male? That's best. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, I guess all of these things, and we still sin, mm -hmm. what, is just the old nature that makes us do that? Well, Jackie, there's a saying, I'm not what I will be, I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I was. So we won't be perfect in this life, but Jackie, you should have seen me before Christ really grabbed a hold of my life. I think I was saved, but when Christ really became Lord of my life, I don't have the snotty tongue that I used to have to my parents. I don't treat my, my family as wickedly as I used to as a, as a teenager, and it was only because the Lord turned me around. So we still sin after conversion, but praise God, I ain't what I was. Okay. Yeah. Tom, we've only got like about a minute and 40 yeah. seconds left in that. And we've been doing some things with the ministry. You're seeing new sets and everything mm -hmm. and that. So why don't you give us just a short update about sure. what's going on and where we've added? Yep. Well, everybody, we're in Minneapolis. We, we are a very shoestring ministry. Uh, oh, the only person that gets paid in this ministry is me, and it ain't extravagant, I'll tell you that. Everybody else is a volunteer. You know what we do when people send us money? We keep adding TV stations. So if you're watching this uh, outside of Minneapolis, it's because people have graciously given us so we could uh, open up another TV station. So that's what we've been doing, Jackie. We're on nationally. We're on locally in Omaha, Wichita, Duluth, uh, Madison, uh, Rochester, the Quad Cities, uh, Sioux Falls, but then nationally all over the country on, on Christian television networks. So I just uh, that's what's happening, and I just want to thank you. That pray, please pray for this ministry. We're trying to get the word of God out. If the Lord nudges you to give, you can go to pastorstudy.org. Two S's. All of our TV shows are there for you to watch for free. You can also donate online. But if you like this show, tell past people, your friends, to go to pastorstudy.org, and you can watch our TV shows there. I just did that the other morning at church because we have a man that doesn't have a TV, yeah. and but he does have a computer, so yeah. it yeah. will be a life-saving thing for him because he really enjoys hearing you preach and from days when you were preaching in our church. Yeah, good. So thanks for being with us, and we pray that God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.